welcome to the Two World Podcast, where you can hear thoughts and reflections on unique intersections between faith and culture. Tune in regularly for this foray into feelings of surprise and interconnectedness and aha moments in life when two worlds come together. Now join your hosts, Barney and Jacob, for this most recent episode. everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Two World Podcast. I have the honor of getting us started today, and I am Barney, and I am joined with my co-host, and he is... Jacob! And it was at this time last year, a year ago, uh, the, the, uh, the Friday before Easter, that Jacob and I just by chance had the, the notion to um, look together at a psalm and... Um, Psalm 22 and see what it spoke to, how it spoke to us and look at um, some of the, um, the the nuances within the words and the wording and um, especially with the Hebrew scripture and, and take kind of a deep dive into that scripture. And I really enjoyed that. And I thought it was a nice, um, a nice addition, a nice kind of episode on its own um, within our podcast. And I wanted to do that. I, I, Jacob and I talked about the idea of doing that again today uh, with a different different scripture. And um, so today we're going to be looking in the New Testament and looking at John and the end of John. And um, we'll take some time to read it together and take some time to look at um, the meaning of um, how it speaks to us and maybe some of the symbolism that we can take away um, from the wording and of course, uh, look at the message in itself, especially in light of Easter, which is uh, just coming up in a few days. Um, so Jacob, why don't you, uh, you, I, this whole week, these whole past few weeks, I've been thinking to myself as I've been reading along in the Bible on my own, thinking, huh, I wonder what scripture Jacob is going to choose. Is he going to choose something? I know it's going to be New Testament. Is he going to throw a curveball and like pick something from first Peter, or is he going to go from one of the gospels or what will it be? So how is it that you decided um, to, to um, choose the 20th chapter of John? We have been talking about doing a series on doors in the Bible. And it all started with an art project that someone from our church created, Jen Kinbaum, who Barney and I will have the opportunity to interview soon about that but she created this art project of a door and it was displayed at a recent meeting of the Ohio conference of the Mennonite church. And it was meant to inspire thoughts about um, being open and trusting in God. And how does God open doors or what does it mean when we see a closed door in our life and what is all the potential of a door? Um, and so that got me thinking about today and our opportunity to reflect on scripture. And in the passage we'll be reading today, there are two important doors, so to speak. And uh, we'll be reflecting on how they relate to the individuals in the story itself, and then how more broadly we can relate the story to our own lives. And then this scripture is also going to be used this Sunday for our Easter worship service. And it's going to be the start of this series on doors. So I'm really looking forward to exploring this with you, Barney. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll go ahead and share my screen. And it has the opening of the passage here. And Barney and I talked about 
taking turns as we read through the passage. So Barney, if you'd be willing to get us started. Sure. Okay. Um, this is, we'll start off uh, at verse one here. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now from verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And now verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So you might have wondered, why did I jump from verses one and two all the way to that later part of the passage? And there's so much in the story and the early part is really good. It's hard to pass that over because um, typically we read the earlier part for the Easter story. Um, I thought it would be kind of an interesting twist to focus on the later part. And um, I mentioned before we got started that there are two doors in the passage. You might not have picked up on that, on those. And so I just want to highlight them real quickly. If you think of the, the first door as being in the early verses of the doorway of the tomb, Mary went to anoint the body of Jesus and found that the stone had been rolled away from the front of the tomb. She was expecting for the stone to be there and it, it wasn't. And when she looked in the tomb, it was empty. And uh, so that's the first door that kind of sets up the story. 
And um, where we left it before we jumped to the later part of the verses was, was with her report to the other disciples. Like they've taken the body of Jesus. We don't know where it is. And this sense of like, how do we interpret this open door that I, we weren't expecting to be open? Like, like we were coming thinking it was going to be one thing and it was another, where's Jesus. And, um, and so then I jumped over the answer to that because, you know, the, the part of the passage is when Jesus appears to Mary part of the passage is when the other disciples go to the tomb, they see it empty. And then they start to wonder and to believe, could it be? Um, and then we jump to um, the part of the passage where he appears to them again behind the second door, which is the locked door of the building where they're staying because they're afraid. And so um, what does that mean that Jesus, that these doors um, uh, kind of represent our own human expectation and, and struggle and that Jesus is not limited by them. He, you know, he comes in even though the door's locked and he appears. <laughs> so, so we have some time today to reflect on that. Um, and just as we're going to get started, I thought it might be interesting to have a visual. And so when I was a student in um, the year 2000, I um, studied abroad in Israel and I had the opportunity to visit a pilgrimage site that um, remembers the the garden tomb and, and burial of Jesus. And so I wanted to share some pictures from that right now. So let me go ahead and pull that up. Just take a minute here. This is the outside of the garden tomb. And um, it's in a beautiful um, area where lots of, of uh, Plants and flowers are surrounding this area and walking through the garden area. It's quite um, peaceful. And then you come to this spot um, where that there's that open doorway. And when you approach it and you look in, this is what you see on the inside. You see this empty burial place. And I think for many people, that's quite an experience to, to see that empty doorway, open doorway and to walk in and see the empty burial place. And just to remember the story and to think of what that must've been like for Mary and the early disciples to, to go and see an empty tomb after the tragic death and crucifixion of Jesus. What, what would that mean for them? Because the, we didn't read it, but earlier in John, it talks about how they, they didn't understand that Jesus was going to rise from the grave that that part of the message hadn't been fully comprehended or made it through to them. And so to see this tomb empty as it was meant something very powerful. So, um, so I've shared a lot here right now, Barney, I want to mm -hmm. stop and give you a chance to, to mm -hmm. respond. Yeah, actually it, I, I would like to just ask, ask you one little quick um, question about, about that as well. Um, so I'll, I'll try to make this relevant, but first I'm curious, how do you remember um, how you were feeling um, when you approached the doorway and with what kind of um, attitude, I guess, or what kind of manner was it that you, that you went through the doorway into the, the empty tomb? Yes, um, I'm trying to remember I, I, I know for sure I spent a lot of time in the garden and um, my, the first thought of, of it was like 
related to the beauty and the peacefulness of the place. But I definitely remember as I walked in and, and approached the door and then walked inside, I was definitely quiet and reflective and it felt um, like a s- solemn, but special mm-hmm. moment to mm-hmm. me. Um, it's interesting because in Israel, there are two sites that you can visit that are dedicated mm-hmm. to the burial of Jesus. One is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is this fourth century Byzantine cathedral that has mm-hmm. multiple layers. And then you, you walk in and go down all these stairs. And then um, in the basement, essentially, there's this um, an ornate um, uh, area that's set up to commemorate the the um the burial of Jesus. So I remember when I went in that one, mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. much more of a sense of, 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 of the somber, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the tone of the story of, of, of the death and the loss. It's a darker area. Um, the, the tones and the colors surrounding you are, um, are darker. Um, and so there was more of a feeling. And when I was there, I was also quiet and contemplative there, but it felt mm-hmm. heavy. Mm-hmm. But then in the garden tomb, the other location with the where these pictures were taken, mm-hmm. I, there was a sense of more like hopefulness and lightness and the, there was more bright light. And maybe um, since I know the rest of the story from the scriptures, mm-hmm. you know, I, mm-hmm. it was kind of highlighting that to me, like, oh, like this is such a beautiful reminder of what happened after the death mm-hmm. of Jesus mm-hmm. when he rose again and the the new life and the, and the beauty of that um, surrounding me. And so so to answer your question, I was quiet and contemplative but, um, when I went in, um, but there was a little bit of a subtext or a feeling of joyfulness mm-hmm. too and beauty um, when mm-hmm. I entered in. So if that makes sense, so. yeah, I'm I'm thinking about this in in terms of uh, exactly like you say how we we know we know the rest of the story we know how the story ends, and then I'm thinking about. Um, Right after the scripture that that the part that we didn't include today, I'm thinking of um, Peter and John, and we see again. Uh, so soon after John enters the tomb, it says that he saw and believed. But it, um, as in believing what Peter and Mary had said, as in, oh yeah, that, that's empty, you know, because because I think just a few verses after that, there's a parenthesis where it says yet they didn't understand because the Holy Spirit hadn't been um, given to them. So he didn't really believe in what was happening with Jesus yet. But um, we see in Peter this kind of, I don't want to say recklessness, but, you know, this he really acted, was man of action. You know, he didn't hesitate to walk on the water. He didn't hesitate to say, you know, um, you are the son of God, you are the Christ, you know, and in this time too, he didn't hesitate to go right into the tomb and see for himself with his own eyes. But it says that John was a little hesitant, even though sometimes we get the sense that maybe John was, you know, he was the disciple that Jesus loved, you know, maybe is he kind of um, a little bit more mature? Is he a little bit more um, attuned to what's happening around them? And, and we see this this kind of gung ho-ness about Peter. And I wonder how it would feel to approach this garden tomb and then just burst right in, in the same manner mm. that Peter did. Um, but, and then he did that without knowing the rest of the story at that time. 
And I think that's pretty neat. And when you were explaining about um, your thoughts on doors and this being an open door and people expecting arriving there, expecting it to be closed, um, you know, Mary and the other women who were with her were thinking, what are we going to do about this big giant stone that's in the way? How are we going to get it out of there so that we can anoint the body? And then their world is turned upside down with an open door of all things. You know, a lot of times in our lives, we think that we are approaching things with a, an attitude of, you know, the door is going to be open. You know, I'm ready for this. And then we think, ah, the door is closed. And we have kind of an, an opposite, that, that kind of, we feel like negatively things are happening to us. But the, in their case, it's exactly the opposite, but they didn't know that it was such a positive at that time. They were confused. They didn't know what to do. And they thought that, that things were worse than they had imagined. Now the body's gone. And what are we going to do? And so this, this, we can look at this open door in so many different ways and how the disciples and the people in the story reacted to it. It's just so interesting, I think, in so many ways. Um, it really is interesting. The, the open door, because it is a surprise, um, it's hard to interpret. And what does it mean that the body's not there? And, um, and it's so interesting that that door was open and it caused confusion. And then we didn't read, like there is part of the, the next phase of the story where Jesus appears to Mary before the part that we read of him appearing to the disciples, but, but even with him ap appearing to Mary, um, it didn't resolve all of the questions for the other disciples because we find the part that we read, they're still locked away in mm -hmm. survival mode, so to speak, um, because they're afraid and they're in this, this building, this, this home. Um, and that's when he appears to them again. And so there's something about that, that fear and the locked door that speaks to me. It's like they all assume the tomb would be sealed and it wasn't. And then they all assumed that they were in danger and that they needed to lock their doors and be closed up. And then in the midst of that, Jesus appears to them. And there, there's something about that that's quite powerful for, for all of us, you know, because I think it parallels. So whenever we go through a hard time in life, we have certain expectations of what will happen perhaps and how we're going to get through. And we can go into survival mode and we can lock our doors and how does God meet us in that place? Um, in the story, I think it's interesting that um, there's two parts to him appearing. The first part where he appeared to a number of the disciples and then the second part where he appeared also to Thomas because Thomas wasn't there the first time. And I shared about this scripture with our men's group this past week. And they, we talked a lot about Thomas and the idea of doubt. And several of the people were, we're questioning, like, wouldn't we be the same way? Mm. Like if we hadn't seen this, you know, if he, if we hadn't been there when Jesus appeared, wouldn't we be asking hard questions? Cause according to our view of the world and um, understanding of things, like if a person dies, we will, wouldn't expect them to be able to come back. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. it's interesting how Thomas kind of stands in the story for, maybe even us today with, with the question of like, how could this be? And I'm, I want to really see it, to understand it and believe. And then 
um, there's that moment where Jesus actually lets Thomas touch him. And it's through this touch of Jesus that his whole understanding is changed and his doubt then becomes this incredible expression and, and statement of faith and belief, my Lord and my God, which is a deep statement about who he believes Jesus to be and understands him to be. And so like through the touch of Jesus, um, the doubt is transformed into faith. And so I guess I kind of wonder, like, what do you think of Thomas in this story? And um, what do you make of his, of his doubt? Can you relate to him? Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, that John um, writes this part of the story so well, because it, it is it maybe in the end of, I, I can't, remember which one it is one of the other gospels at the very end it says and jesus appeared to them and then there's just a tiny little aside and some of them doubted you know it's just that one quick little sentence that if you don't if you're if you're reading too quickly you'll miss it and and then we're thinking oh yeah this is the thomas part um and yeah that that when i read through um all, all of the bible but especially John, because John has so many times where there's the parentheses, but the Holy Spirit hadn't been given to them yet, you know, but they didn't understand, you know, they, they hadn't, they, you know, this and this and this, but they weren't able to understand at that time. And it's hard to put myself in that mindset of um, how it must have been for them, because like you say, we know the whole story and the Holy Spirit has been given to us. But and then and then and then I start going down the rabbit hole and I think, well, now, you know, we've been through the age of rationalism and, you know, postmodernism and this and this and this. And so we look at things so much more objectively through the scientific method. And um, how did people look at their world at that time? But um, I, I and then at the, and then I think of the um the two disciples the two disciples from the ms road who come back and they're trying to convince everyone and everyone's trying to convince these disciples you know mary and these guys and everyone and and then they still they're still like you say they're still locking their doors and they're still scared and they still don't know what to make of everything despite all of these people trying to get the message to them and um then um, how, how would I be, how would I feel if I'm, if I'm in, if, uh, if I hadn't been in Thomas's case in the room the first time that Jesus arrived, and then I come back a few, you know, a few minutes later, they're like, you just missed him. And I think really, you know, <laughs> with all that's going on, things are a little bit strange. Are you guys really sure that you guys saw what you think that you saw? Um, and, um, I, I like, again, that, um, I, I can't say for sure one way or the other. I mean, I'd like to say that that I would um, be able to take a moment and and kind of maybe remember bits and pieces here and there of everything that Jesus said, especially the number of times that he told the disciples along the way, you know, that he will, we're, the reason why we're going to Jerusalem is for him to die and then raise again. And he tells them that. And I wonder if I would hopefully remember, oh, he did say that. Maybe that did happen. You know, maybe what you guys are saying is true. I'm now I'm really sorry that I missed him. Um, but no matter what, it's great hearing Thomas's point of view and what 
you know, in a kind of a real honest, stark, genuine way, you know, John isn't trying to paint the story one way or the other um, negatively or sympathetically. He's, he's putting it there for us to read and, um, and, and relate to and um, see, see what Thomas was feeling and thinking. And, and then of course the best part is when he has, you know, as some of us need, when he has this confirmed for him um, in his way of, of interacting, touching Jesus, then, you know, it, there's the hesitation is completely gone. The doubt is completely gone. He's, he's not, there's no other thing that he needs to proclaim, you know, again, you know, my Lord and my God. And, and that's, um, that's so nice to read that with kind of a redemptive sense for Thomas that, um, you know, as you say, he gets, he gets a bad rap for being doubting Thomas, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's the, it takes one to know one, you know, <laughs> maybe we say that because we also are, are so often full of doubts ourselves. That's true, Barney. I think um, what you said just before that too, about the redemptive nature of that, um, to me is a very positive statement about how God works in our lives. And the journey of faith is one where God meets us where we are, and helps change our experience and our perspective and helps us to believe. And um, that's very powerful. And so if we do experience doubt or we're struggling, this is actually a story I think that's quite hopeful. And uh, it's also interesting that the locked doors um, didn't, the, it didn't prevent Jesus from acting. So even if if we take it as a metaphor for our heart and our posture being afraid and of being turned in on ourselves and being self-protective, even in that moment that God can still work in our lives and Jesus can still meet us where we are and, and bring change and transformation. So I think it's very hopeful. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you highlighted that with the word redemptive. It's very redemptive. Yes. Mm. And if I can just continue this, I, I, I love what you're saying and, and kind of the, the image that um, despite us trying to, to lock things down and trying to kind of protect and shield ourselves from what's happening, um, you know, Jesus isn't like, oh, well, okay, I can't get through to that person. I guess that's it for them. You know, he still breaks through that door and, and gives us our chance to um, see and experience his grace. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I really like too that um, when he does appear, the what he says and how he greets the disciples, and it's just, it's really interesting. It says that, that he greeted them um, multiple times with the phrase, peace be with you. And so like he knows right away that they're afraid. And so the first Thing that he says to them is to, is something that will assuage their fear and give them a sense of assurance that peace be with you. And they, they recognize his voice. They recognize him in that statement. And then he breathes on them and um, he's, he's blessing them and giving them the Holy spirit, which we know at other places in the new Testament is um, a great source of comfort and great source of support 
and gives greater understanding for what God's doing. And so um, the fact that he gives them peace and then he blesses them um, with the gift of the Holy Spirit is um, is very powerful after coming through the locked door, you know, after coming from um, a place where they weren't expecting um, here, he gives them what they need to um, have new vitality in life. So, so that's so interesting. And, um, and it makes me think of like life experiences where we are struggling. Um, maybe something hasn't turned out how we thought with a relationship or with our career or, um, or it could be a faith struggle itself. Like we could be even doubting um, something that we've been taught or that we've believed throughout our life. But in all of those situations, um, I think Jesus can see us in our need. And when he comes to us, he offers us what we need to um, have vitality and renewed life and um, to be whole again. And so um, I think it's a very hopeful message about what Jesus can do. And even the idea of, um, of death and resurrection, like in the Easter story, um, how it can be expressed and lived out in our own life experiences of, of loss and then uh, gaining um, renewal and new newness, you know, and how he brings us through hard things. So um, I think that speaks on that level too. Um, yeah. Um, what do you make of the part of the story where Jesus still bears the marks of the crucifixion because we know like God has the power to heal and he could have easily healed the body of Jesus. But when Jesus appears, he still bears those. Like, why do you think that would be part of the story? Yeah, th this is um, something that I've, I've also thought about. Um, so in terms of when, when Mary sees him and thinks that um, he's the gardener. Um, and I think how, how did she um, mistake him so, so readily? Um, you know, this person that she'd spent so many time, so much time with, how didn't she recognize him? And um, was it um, that she wasn't expecting to see him? Or was it, I remember um, Kimiaki sensei once um, proposed the idea that, you know, during when in the resurrection we're given a new body and that's why she and um uh, like the disciples from emmis on the emmis road didn't um recognize him because he was looking differently uh, but but then um when he appears again to um to uh, thomas and and like you say he still has his wounds and um is was that had they always been there or was it something that um jesus was able to show him you know to kind of re what reinstate or or bring them back to show them just for thomas's sake at that time it's um it's <laughs> it's a lot of questions and um and I don't, I don't think that, I mean, if I had to give an answer that, of course, there's no way that this is an expert answer at all, but I, I think that would be why for, for Thomas's sake, um, to help him believe, I mean, to fulfill, Jesus wasn't there, but of course, Jesus knew 
the conversation that he was having with the disciples and knew that that was what Thomas had stated and what Thomas needed. And so Jesus came and gave him exactly what he needed at that time. Um, if it was something that he did just at that moment, or if it was how he had always been um, since, since the resurrection, uh, I, I wonder, it's, it's something interesting to think about that um, I hadn't put so much thought into it until now, but how, how about for yourself, Jacob? Is this a question you've thought about some for some time? Uh, yes, I've thought about this before. And for me, it's um, a reflection of God's upside down kingdom that uh, like Jesus, when he enters the city um, of Jerusalem during the final week before being crucified, he comes in on a donkey instead of this gallant horse and with a huge um, number of chariots or something like that. Uh, mm. He comes in humility. And then for Jesus to go to the cross was this great act of sacrifice and service. And it entailed um, so much um, personal suffering. And um, I think that we often think about the end of the story about healing and resurrection and go there quickly. But the fact that he still bears um, the, the marks of the crucifixion actually shows that he identified with us in our suffering. And so like, you know, you, that the great problem of evil, you know, people often ask like, how can a good God um, permit evil in the world? And I'm not going to try to like answer that question right now because <laughs> it's such a huge <laughs> question. But what I will say is this is a moment in the story where I think it says that God um, chose by, um, by sending Jesus in this way and, but, and through Jesus's own choice, um, to go through the crucifixion that he, he enters into our suffering and, and suffers on our behalf and identifies with us. And uh, there's something redemptive and transformative in that. And so the fact that he still bears the marks, um, after the resurrection is a testimony to how God cares about us humans in our suffering. And for those who are suffering now, those who may um, be in pain in this moment, the fact that Jesus still bears the marks of his suffering is a reminder to them that, um, that he cares for them. And um, it's, um, it's a powerful statement. Uh, and I think it, it, and it should be a reminder to us too, that we shouldn't um, try to just forget or, or, or brush off or quickly move past suffering in our lives um, and think of it just as a lost time or um, unimportant, but somehow is there something that we can learn or a way we can grow that it becomes a part of positive sense of who we are now after it, after God's brought us through it. And so the very area, sometimes the very areas where we did suffer become places out of which we can help other people who are going through the same thing or have more empathy for others. And so the fact that Jesus still has these wounds, it kind of makes me feel the same way that maybe it's a, it's a sign to his great love and care and empathy mm -hmm. with, with all those who suffer still. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Um, are there any other thoughts that you have related to the passage, Barney, before we would uh, bring this time of reflection to a close? Yeah, one one thought that I had, one one idea that came to me 
think about doors and think about locked doors, um, I, I always think of, um, in, in, in my own situation here at home, when I'm getting ready for the night and wondering, are the doors locked and whatnot? And, and I, if there's ever a time where I think where I, I'm in bed and thinking, did I forget to lock the doors or not? Then I always think of the proverb that Solomon wrote that about the gates, that if the gates, you can lock your gates as much as you want, but if God isn't there to protect or is not a part of your city or kingdom, then it's not going to do anything. And, and I think about that too. And I think about um, that in context of them keeping, trying to keep the doors locked, but, um, but they didn't realize that they had Jesus with them. And so they didn't have to, if they had thought about Proverbs at that time, they would realize, oh, we're okay anyway, you know, because God is there with us. And, and um, God literally was there with them when Jesus appeared to them and, and then gave them just what they needed, you know, the peace that they needed. And, and, and as Jesus says earlier, the peace that he gives is so much different than the peace that the world gives. And just as the, the peace of mind that a locked door might give you is not as fulfilling and not as satisfying um, as the peace that, that God gives us as when he keeps our gates closed and keeps us secure. Um, that, was, that was the final thing that, that came to me in terms of today's passage. I really like that, Barney. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. For our closing, I thought it might be interesting to read a prayer that was written by Anne Ostick. And I really like this prayer because it is based off of the passage that we read today, but it has a really interesting twist to it. So Barney, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to read the first sentence in the prayer, and then I can read the, the second one. Christ, please come right through our fear-locked doors and breathe your spirit into us. Give us your peace that comes from perfect love, not to hoard, but to send out to all who would believe. Amen. Mm -hmm. And we want to thank all of you who are with us today. Thank you for watching or listening as we've had this conversation and reflected on God's word. And we pray that for your own life experience, that you too could have a renewed sense of life and of joy and of peace. If you're going through a hard time, or even if things feel normal now, that you would have a deep abiding sense that Jesus is with you in your journey. Thank you so much. And until next time, goodbye.